All right, praises be to our loving Father that we are able to gather once again to study his words and his commands. And tonight we're going to talk about Halloween. As we all know, October 31st is a date anticipated by so many people around the world because October 31st marks a special day for many people. And for, as a matter of fact, many people compared to even Christmas actually prefer to celebrate Halloween because they, for them it's a time of festivity, a time where you can do whatever you want to do and not feel guilty about it. And so as followers of our King Yahusha, is it biblical? Should we follow the ways of the world and celebrate Halloween? Because there are some who call themselves Christians who say it's okay, it's innocent fun to celebrate Halloween because it's, after all, it's only a culture thing. And so there's no harm done spiritually it's okay. And so we're going to look at different aspects of celebrating Halloween and know for sure what the will of Yehovah Abba is concerning this holiday. Let's go and look at the question that was given or submitted to us. This is what it says for good eve, for, I think it's good evening. Good evening, for Halloween is fast approaching and many parents are excited for their kids to join trick or treat. These are my questions, Paul. Now, what does the Bible say about Halloween? What is its origin? Is it a pagan practice? Is it true that it is a Christianized uh, pagan practice originated from Samhain? Does Apostle Paul taught the Gentiles against this festival? Is it okay for kids to join this activity? It's just giving of gifts and candies and costume party. Is it true, Paul, that during October 31st, the barriers between the spirit world and the physical world break down during Halloween? Or is it just a folklore, or is there some truth in this story? Thank you so much, Paul. As you can see, there's a lot to unpack here. And so let's begin by looking at the question, what does the Bible say about Halloween? Well, the word Halloween is not in the Holy Bible. So we cannot get a passage from Scripture that directly tells us about Halloween. However, there are numerous biblical principles and commands that tell us to stay away from Halloween. And for us to be able to understand these biblical principles and teachings, we need to first know the origin and the pagan origin, the practices of Halloween. So we're going to look at this question and begin here. What is its origin? Is it a pagan practice? Is it true that it's a Christianized pagan practice originating from Samhain? And so let's look at the question, what is the origin of Halloween? Well, according to the John Ankerberg show, uh, the facts of Halloween, Halloween took place of a special day celebrated by the ancient Druids, who were the learned or priestly class of the Celtic religion. These Celtic people lived in northern France and the British Isles. They engaged in occult arts, worshipped nature, and gave it supernatural animistic qualities. The Celts worshipped the sun god, Bellinus, especially on Beltane May the 1st, and they worship another god, apparently the Lord of Death, or the Lord of Death on Samhain. It's pronounced Samhain, not Samhain, on October the 31st. So according to the John Ankerberg show, which is a Christian-based show, in this book, The Facts of Halloween, we know that Halloween has an, an origin, not, and the origin of Halloween is not Christian, but pagan. And what is the pagan origin of Halloween? It is based on the Celtic religion. The Celtic religion had 
its own priests, they were called the Druids, and this Celtic religion was founded on occultic arts, the worship of nature, which is basically paganism. They believe in the sun god. They also believe in the Lord of death or the Lord of the dead, who is Samhain. And so whenever October the 31st would come, they would consider that a special holiday in dedication for the Lord of death or Lord of the dead, Samhain. And so the origin of Halloween is actually this pagan practice of the Celtic religion, the worship of the Lord of the dead. Well, how did it become Halloween? Well, let's look at another book, The Catholic Customs and Traditions, a popular guide by Greg Dewis. Halloween is observed the night of October 31st. It takes its name, All Halloween, from being the eve of the holy day of all saints on November the 1st, All Hallows Eve. Halloween has its origin in pre-Christian times, and there is no direct connection between this day and any Christian tradition. Traditional practices associated with Halloween are delightful and earthy, but they are not Christian practices. The Celts and Wales, Ireland, Scotland, and Brittany in northern northwestern France celebrated uh, New Year's Day on November the 1st. Among the Celts, under the influence of the religious leadership of the Druids, a festival was held the evening before to honor Samhain, their lord of death. And so as part of the celebration of Samhain, the lord of death, they had a festival. And so the people of Israel, they had a festival too, a feast dedicated to Yahuwah. The Celtics, led by their priests, the Druids, they also had a festival, and their festival was held on a New Year's Day. For them, the New Year's Day celebration began around November the 1st, October the 31st, and it's also to commemorate the birthday or to honor Samhain, their Lord of Death. And so we can see the connection uh, between Halloween and the, the honoring of the Lord of Death, Samhain. But how did it become Halloween? You know, Halloween was celebrated, is celebrated today on October the 31st. How did this Samhain celebration become Halloween? Well, let's look at the facts of Halloween. Again, the John Ankerberg Show. In the Middle Ages, the Catholic Church attempted to oppose the paganism involved in the Samhain the festival by making November 1st All Saints Day and November 2 All Souls Day. In 835, Pope Gregory I, the first, is that the fourth? <laughs> Pope Gregory IV transferred this feast of all saints on November the 1st and extended it to include all the saints. So November 1st, All Saints Day, the day after Halloween, Hallow's Eve or All Saints' Eve became a day dedicated by the Catholic Church to the Virgin Mary and the saints. And so how did um, Samhain become Halloween? Well, as we all know, the Catholic Church, when it was using fear-based strategies to impose their faith upon the people of the world, when they convinced pagans 
some Celtic people to become members of the Catholic Church. He began to teach them about the Bible, about Christ. However, these Celtic people were stubborn. They loved their uh, Samhain uh, festivals. They did not want to give that up. And so what did the Catholic Church decide to do? Instead of imposing what they believe is right, what they did was to merge two festivities. You see, the Catholic Church before this happened had an All Souls Day, which was celebrated May the 13th. And so they had an idea. Samhain, as celebrated by the Celtic religion, it's about honoring the dead. Well, we also have a festival wherein we honor the dead, the Catholic Church begins to think, which is May the 13th. Why don't we combine the two so that we don't end up losing these Celtic people as members of the Catholic Church? So what they did uh, through Pope Gregory IV was to transfer this feast of all saints to November the 1st. This is why you now have All Hallows Eve or All Saints Eve. Eventually it became Halloween. And so Halloween had its origin from this Celtic religious practice called Samhain, which is a celebration and an honoring of the Lord of the dead, Samhain. And so when the Catholic Church begins to merge, which is what we call syncretism, pagan ideas with Catholic belief, but by this time, this Catholic belief of praying for the dead, we know it's no longer biblical, but nevertheless, what they did was to merge the two, syncretize the two, and you have what is called Halloween, and Catholic Church today, what we call that All Souls Day, All Saints Day, and what does the Catholic Church do on that day? Well, let's read the facts of Halloween, eventually November 2nd, became All Souls Day. I want to pause there for a while. So we have November 1st, All Saints Day, and then November the 2nd, All Souls Day. The eve of uh, All Saints Day, we have Halloween. In case of 31st, the 1st, the 2nd. These are three days because Samhain, the, Samhain, the celebration, the festival was a three-day festival. And so the Catholic Church followed suit. It took the template and they use their terminology to fill in that template. And so they Catholicized uh, what was a pagan practice. And so eventually November 2 uh, became All Souls Day as a special day to pray for the dead. Reminiscent of the ancient Druids, the Catholic Church still teaches that the living may through various acts alleviate the sufferings of the dead. They may pray for the souls being tormented in purgatory and ease their pains through specific or sacrificial acts such as penance, partaking of the sacraments, mortification, using the rosary, and good deeds like almsgiving. So we know the Catholic Church, they also have this practice where they can somehow appease the suffering of people who are already dead because they believe when a person dies, they go to purgatory and they're suffering immensely in purgatory. And those who were still alive, they can do something to kind of appease that suffering that their dead loved ones are experiencing in purgatory. So this is a Catholic doctrine, this praying for the dead, which is recast using the terminologies and the dates of the Samhain 
uh, celebration. And so it's a merging of the two. And eventually you have what is called the Halloween celebration. Well, how did Halloween become so popular? Let's read uh, Celebrations, the complete book of American holidays. Halloween was not widely observed during the first 200 years of American settlement. And there were small Irish Catholic settlements in which it was celebrated, but the great impetus was provided by the terrible potato famine in Ireland in the 1840s, which sent thousands of Irishmen across the Atlantic. And so uh, we know that when the US or, or, or Great Britain, the Europeans, right, England, arrived in the US to settle in the US, they brought with them the, the uh, faith of Protestants, right? But eventually some Irish Catholics became, uh, became settled also in the United States, but not too many. But when the terrible potato famine came in Ireland, it forced them to move to the United States. And so they brought with them Catholicism. With Catholicism, they also brought with them the San, the Samhain celebration, which is also called Halloween. And so when more and more of the Irish Catholic people began to arrive in the United States, more and more people began to adopt this holiday. And so Halloween eventually became very popular. In fact, it's almost overtaking um, Christmas as the most popular um, celebration in the world today. And so that's the origin of Halloween. However, Halloween has taken on roots and it has extended its reach. As a matter of fact, when we think of Halloween today, not only is it about a Catholic celebration in general, Halloween is a time of the year celebrated by advocates of Wicca. Have you heard of Wicca before? It's not Wiki, but Wicca. Wicca is a network of practicing witches as the official religion of witchcraft, Wicca believes October 31st to mark the time when the separation between the spiritual and physical realms is the thinnest. In other words, Halloween is the best time to try and interact with the supernatural realm, according to Wiccans. And so Halloween is also related to witchcraft. Not surprising, because after all, Halloween is rooted in pagan idolatry, namely the worship of the Lord of Death or the Lord of the Dead, Samhain. And so we're not surprised that modern witches today, because there are really real witches today, or there's a network of witches who practice divination, black magic, and the occult. And October 31st is a special time for them because they believe at that time, if you're going to do a spell, it will be the first, it will be the most potent opportunity for you to cast that spell. Because at that point, there's this barrier, they call a barrier between the living and the non-living is at its thinnest. And so the veil is kind of lifted and you have access to that spiritual world. Not only that, other worldly connections are supposedly made during Halloween aligned with Satanism. Halloween has always maintained a relationship with occultism 
Additionally, Halloween's premise includes an intentional and public display of imagery, mischief, and behavior generally looked down upon any other time of the year. And so not only is Halloween associated with witches and witchcraft, it's also associated with occultism and Satanism. And so there's this connection between Halloween, witchcraft, Satanism, and also with the occult. This is why out of all the days of the year, do you know when is the number one time beer is consumed in the United States, even more than the Super Bowl? It is during Halloween. Because during Halloween, people have an excuse for misbehaving and doing whatever they want. And there's a reason why behind that. We'll talk about that later on. So, so far, what we have concerning Halloween, it's associated, number one, with the pagan Celtic worship of the Lord of the Dead, Samhain, on October the 31st. It also, it's also representative of a Catholic celebration of All Saints Day and All Souls Day. And Wicca, a network of practicing witches, believes that October 31st is the best time to interact with the spiritual world. And number four, it aligns with Satanism and occultism. And so these are the associations that Halloween makes. And so now we can answer the question, well, what does the Bible say about Halloween? It doesn't say much about Halloween itself, but it speaks so much about what Halloween is associated with or what Halloween is represented by. And so when we look at the Halloween associations, you look at what you see on the, the screen there, Lord of the Dead, right? Witches, Satanism, occultism. Do you think that's something Yahuwah Abba was, would want us to dabble with or participate with or kind of tinker with? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, our father Yahuwah long ago, he already gave this warning to us in the book of Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 11. When you enter the land, Yahuwah your God is giving you. Want to pause here for a while. Yahuwah is speaking to Israel through Moses. This was before they were to enter the promised land, Canaan. He gave them a warning. He said, be careful because in the land that you're going to be occupying are nations with detestable practices, detestable customs. And so when you go there, do not practice those customs. Be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, here's an example. Never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. And do not let your people practice fortune telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics, or call forth the spirits of the dead. And so according to scriptures, Yahuwah gave a warning to his people. He said, before you enter the promised land, make sure you do not follow these detestable customs. And he was specific about what they were, right? What were they about? It's about sorcery, the occult engaging in witchcraft, casting spells. And when you think about these practices, the root cause is what? Idolatry, the worship of the enemy of God rather than Yahuwah Elohim himself. And so the root cause of all this witchcraft and black magic and the occult 
of course, it's the adversary of Yahuwah, Shatan. Satan is the one behind it all. And what he wants today is what he wanted back then. He laid out traps in the promised land to entrap and to ensnare the people of God. This is why Yahuwah says, be careful. Do not practice what they are practicing over there. Yahuwah calls them detestable things. What instead does Yahuwah expect from his people? The book of Deuteronomy, anyone who does these things is detestable to Yahuwah. It is because the other nations have done these detestable things that Yahuwah, your God, will drive them out ahead of you. But you must be blameless before Yahuwah, your God. The nations you're about to displace, consult sorcerers and fortune tellers, but Yahuwah, your God, forbids you to do such things. And so Yahuwah is telling us, once we enter the prom, once they enter the promised land, they are to be blameless. How do we become blameless? By not imitating what they are doing that is detestable to Yahuwah. This is why when we apply this principle, this instruction from Yahuwah during our time, yes, we do not live in the promised land per se, right? We live in the world. And so the same principle applies. In the world, are there customs that are against the will of Yahuwah? Yes. How can we be blameless when we reject these customs so that we can consecrate ourselves instead of consulting sorcerers and fortune tellers, instead of mingling together with the ways of the world? We must reject them because they are detestable to our Father Yahuwah. What is the warning of Yahuwah for those who practice in the occult, the book of Leviticus 26 to 7, and the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them? I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am Yahuwah your God. And so what is the warning of Yahuwah Abba if there are those who are among his people who turn to mediums and familiar spirits? Bible says what they end up doing, really, they're prostituting themselves with them. In other words, they commit, they commit the sin of idolatry or spiritual adultery. You see, when Yahuwah, through Yahusha today, right, made a covenant with us, it means we have a relationship with Yahuwah and Yahusha. And so if we are to engage and dabble with the occult, the witchcraft and black magic, what are we doing? We're committing spiritual adultery during the time of the people of Israel. When Yahuwah sees his people doing that, what is the warning? Yahuwah says, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from among his people. You see, when Yahuwah established a covenant relationship with us, do you know what that means? We have to be set apart. That's what it means to be holy. The Bible says, consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am Yahuwah, your God. We have to be different from the world. Not exactly like the world or be like the world. There's nothing in scripture that tells us that we are to be like the world or copy the customs of the world. No, we are to be different from the world. Why? Because we are to be separate or holy, set apart from the world. So as people of God, 
if we are to consecrate ourselves today, we must not dabble in practices related to the occult and Halloween and Samhain and other pagan practices. But someone might say, well, when you look at the celebration of Halloween, isn't it also Christian? Because it's related to the Catholic celebration, All Saints Day and All Souls Day. And during that time, they had good intentions, which is to pray for the dead, because the Catholic Church believed that when a person dies, they go straight to purgatory. There's this place where people pay for their sins, and so they're tormented in purgatory. And so when you pray for the dead, when you give alms, when you have all souls, they all saints, they, it's an opportunity to greatly appease, to help with the burden of suffering that the people who supposedly are in purgatory are experiencing. And so is there any truth behind all this? Is it true that when the person dies, they go to purgatory to kind of pay for their sins? What do you think? First of all, when you think, okay, if a person is going to go to purgatory and he suffers there so that his sins can be atoned for, that goes against the teaching of scripture, does it not? What atones for our sins? Not our works, but the work of Mashiach, Messiah. When he atoned for our sins, when he died on the cross. But when a person dies, is there a place called purgatory waiting for him or for her? Well, let's go ahead and look at the, the answer to that question. What is the composition of human beings? In the book of Thessalonians 5.23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Yahushua Christ. The Bible tells us that human beings are composed of spirit, soul, body. When a person dies, what happens to the spirit, soul, and body? In Ezekiel 18.4, behold, all souls are mine, the soul of the Father as well as the souls of the son is mind, the soul who sins, shall die. And so the soul, when a person dies, the soul dies, right? And so if the soul dies, the soul cannot go to purgatory because how can a soul go to purgatory when it's already dead, right? What does it mean to be dead? Let's read the book of Psalms 146.4. His breath goeth forth. He returneth to his earth in that very day his thoughts perish. What does it mean to be dead? What does it mean for the soul to die? It means his thoughts perish. In other words, he loses his consciousness. This is why when you talk to a dead person and they talk back to you, a person is not dead, right? Because a dead person cannot communicate with you anymore because his thoughts perish. His body returns to the earth from dust you are to dust you shall return, his soul dies together with the body. This is why when a person dies, the, the soul dies, the body dies, the spirit returns to Yahuwah. And so because the soul and the body dies, what happens to his thoughts? Can he still benefit from anything that people who are alive are still doing? In Ecclesiastes 9, 5 to 6, for the living know that they will die but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore 
well, they have a share in anything done under the sun. So when a person dies, they know nothing. Why? Because the consciousness is gone. They have no more soul. The soul dies together with the body. No brain, no mind, no soul. The spirit returns to Yahuwah. And so if they have no soul, no body, no brain, they cannot know anything. They cannot experience anything. This is why the Bible tells, tells us their love, their hatred, their envy, it has perished. Not just their thoughts, but their emotions. And so a person who has died, can this person still be suffering? It doesn't matter how many, how many acts of penance you do on All Souls Day or All Saints Day. It will absolutely do nothing to the person who has already died, right? They know nothing. They experience nothing. When and only when will they begin to experience and know again? Let's read the book of Revelation 20, 11 to 13. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. And so when and only when those who have died are going to regain consciousness, to have again knowledge and thinking and feeling when they are resurrected to face Yahuwah on the great white throne judgment, which will take place after the millennium. And so it's not true. There's a place called purgatory where a person is acting out his, his or her punishment in purgatory to be cleansed. No, judgment for those who are not in Yahusha will take place on the great white throne judgment. Not now, not when you die, but when the millennium, the millennium is concluded with. And so it's, there's no such thing as people in purgatory today. This is why All Souls Day, All Saints Day, Shawin or Sawin, Wicca, and all of the occults and Satanism, all of that is against the Holy Bible. And so why will we participate in the celebration of Halloween, right? Because it's clearly, blatantly a rejection of Yahuwah and what he stands for. Four, okay, so hopefully it's clear. I think we've already answered the question, should we celebrate Halloween? What's the clear answer? We must not celebrate Halloween. Well, let's go to this question. Is it true, Paul, that during October 31st, the barriers between the spirit world and physical world break down during Halloween? Or is it just a folklore? Or is there some truth in this story? And so according to Encyclopedia Botanica notes that during this festival, the Sovian festival, the world, the world of the gods was believed to be made visible to humankind, leading to supernatural tricks and trouble, ghosts of the dead and spirits from the other world 
were also thought to return to the earth during Samhain to appease deities during this time, sacrifices, generative crops and animals were burned in bonfires as a protective measure from evil otherworldly beings. And offerings uh, were left out for the other visiting mischievous spirits. Tricks and pranks were often played, but blamed on fairies and spirits during the three-day period when the line between the two worlds blurred. And so during the Sawain celebration, or Sawain festival, which is a three-day celebration, right? The two worlds are supposedly blurred. And so the veil between the physical world and the spiritual world, spiritual world are kind of united for a brief moment of time. And so there's interaction now between mischievous otherworldly beings. And so these otherworldly beings are able to enter earth and interact with people and they would create havoc and create disorder and chaos, play tricks on human beings and they blame it all on the, the fairies. But other mischievous spirits also play in or have their part in creating the mayhem, right? But they always blame it on the fairies. Who fairies, right? Anyways, according to Nessawain belief, there is this blurring of the barrier between the physical world and the other world. And those, the, the spiritual beings of the other world were numerous. Uh, Pre-Christian Celtic practices, uh, the spirits of the other world were in the form of fairies, witches, ogres, goblins, evil spirits, demons, ghouls, goats, vampires, and other spirits. And so we are familiar with these supernatural beings that make up much of our horror stories, right? Ghouls, goblins, and vampires. Maybe in the Philippines, in the Philippines, what do we have? Capre, Aswan, Duendes, right? And so there's this belief, and these are from pre-Christian Celtic uh, practices and beliefs. And so before Catholicism came, these Celtic people practiced their religions and they believed in Samhain and associated with Samhain were all these different spiritual beings who live in the spiritual world. So according to the Celtic belief, there's a difference between the spiritual world, the other world, and our world. And so they're divided. And so one cannot go from one world to the next. It's divided. Okay. So there are the spiritual beings like goats and vampires and demons and ghouls. And of course, our world with human beings and regular animals, right? But they believe that when we have when October 31st comes and November 1st, November 2 for three days, there's this possibility of a crossover. One can cross the other. And that's the belief, okay? And according to celebrations, the complete book of American holidays, the modern, the modern customs, custom of going from door to door, begging candy, nuts, apples, and pennies, while masked and dressed in grotesque or outlandish costume goes back ultimately to the pagan New Year feast, which is what? Samhain. You can remember, Samhain was a festival. It was also, it was a New Year celebration. The ghosts that were thought to throng about the houses of the living were greeted with a banquet-laden table. At the end of the feast, 
masked and costumed villagers representing the souls of the dead paraded to the outskirts of town, leading the ghosts away. With the advent of Christianity, various explanations were forthcoming to give a more Christian rationale for the practice. The masking of precedents have thus been found in the costume parades of children who went around on the eve of All Souls Day, the day following All Saints Day, offering to fast for the departed souls in return for money or an offering. And so because of this belief that when October 31st comes around, the barrier between the living and the dead are split, are opened, and the dead can visit the living, there's this belief that ghouls and ghosts would enter the world as we know it and create havoc and mayhem and play tricks on human beings. And so people, what do they do to appease, this, to appease these ghostly figures? Well, what they would do is to set up banquets outside their houses. They would set up a table in the front lawn, have like food. And so when the ghosts would pass by, they see the food, they eat the food. And they would say, you know, these people are nice. We're not going to play tricks on them. But if they pass by your house and they don't see any goodies, they're going to play tricks on you. This is why we have trick or treat, right? If you don't give them a treat, they will play tricks on you. Okay? That's the origin of that. That's the Sawin religion, custom, or pagan practice. When Christianity comes along, specifically because of Catholicism, they had to figure out a way to kind of make it Christian sounding. And so what do they do? Now, they have the, kid, the, the, the people, the kids, wear costumes, and they go door to door, and they offer to fast for the departed souls in return for money or an offering. This is why in the 1980s, you know, when uh, people went trick-or-treating, it was very popular instead of giving candy, you were to give money. And that comes from the Catholic way of kind of transforming the Sawin practice of candy and feasts and food into a more Christian sounding like custom or festival by saying these people who will go house to house and will pray for the dead in coordination and in alignment with the ideals of All Souls Day, All Saints Day, right? But in return, you are to give this person praying for the dead money or an offering, right? And so they all go together in this celebration. And so the practice of trick-or-treating and wearing costumes, it all is the result of the belief that on the October 31st, this barrier between the living and the dead are broken. And so there's this interaction between the living and the dead. Even the belief in the jack-o'-lantern, right? Ever wonder why you have like a pumpkin, a scary looking pumpkin with a candle inside it, of it, the jack-o'-lantern, even that is, has a creepy origin. According to celebrations, uh, there's an old tale connected with the name jack-o'-lantern. It concerns a stingy drunkard of an Irishman, Jack by name, who tricked the devil into climbing an apple tree to get one of the juicy pieces of fruit, then quickly cut the side of the cross into the trunk of the tree, preventing the devil from coming down. What a cruel guy. As a final gesture, the devil uh, threw a live coal to Jack straight from the fire of hell. 
Jack had been eating a turnip and he put the coal inside of it. Ever since then, he has been traveling over the face of the earth with his jack-o-lantern. So that's the origin of the jack-o-lantern tradition when it comes to Halloween. So when we look at the Halloween, its customs, its practices, and the purpose for why it's done, it's all pagan in religion, and it involves worshiping the dead. And the Bible clearly tells us Yahuwah is against any kind of worship, any kind of activity that celebrates the dead, because Yahuwah is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And so Sawain, October 31st, was like an opportunity for the dead and the living to kind of mix together. And one thing Yahuwah doesn't like is mixing together. He does not like mixing truth with falsehood. He does not like mixing um, the dead with the living. No, that cannot be. But Sawain was basically a New Year celebration, right? It's a harvest festival all rolled up into one. It was held on three days around November 1st. November 1st was Sawain, but October 31st and the 2nd of November were all rolled up into that holiday. Now, what's interesting is this, right? The three days of Sawain was, it was considered no time. What does that mean? Well, this three-day period was not part of the old year. Remember, it was a new year festival, right? And so this three-year period was not part of the old, and it's not part of the new. If it's not part of the old and part of the new, it was a transitionary time, and they call that no time. They called it no time, okay? Thus, they felt it became a tradition that the strictures, the order, the rule in which people lived were held in abeyance for those three days. And people pretty much did anything they pleased. All the laws were stopped. All the normal order in society, let's say the chief versus the servant would, be, would get turned all upside down. The servant would run the town for those three days because the chief was himself. He would go to do something else wild and crazy because this is no time, an excuse to do whatever you want. Guess who's behind that? The devil. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to mix up the values of the people of the world. The Bible tells us what the devil likes to do is to call what is holy, not holy, and what is not holy, holy. What is good, evil. What is evil, good, right? This is behind that concept is the devil. And Halloween is a perfect example of the world being turned upside down because of this concept of no time, which is celebrated on October the 31st. And so when you have these customs like trick-or-treating, jack-o'-lanterns, one is being in, align in alignment with the desire of Satan himself. And so we are not to practice that, right? And so the question that was given to us is, is there any truth to this? Well, it depends on what part you're talking about. Is there any truth that there's another world full of spirits? No, there's only one world. There's only one world. And in this one world, there are forces that we can see and forces that we cannot see, but they're able to interact, okay? This is why we have to be careful. In Ephesians 6, verse 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. According to Apostle Paul, our real enemy is not the government leader, 
He is not the minister in the pulpit who is misleading people away from Yahuwah. It's not individuals who are doing naughty things and violent acts, but those behind them who are invisible. The unseen world. Who leads the unseen world? The evil spirits, demons, Satan and his minions. And so there are evil influences that we cannot see. According to Apostle Paul, they are our true enemies. It's not flesh and blood. Our true enemies are spirits in nature. And this is why it's not true that there's this barrier between the spirits. And the spirit world is not composed of fairies and elves and whatever other creatures. No, there are spirit beings, fallen angels, right? And evil spirits are out there, and they're trying to ruin the faith of the people of God. So we are up against these spirits. And so we have to be careful not to practice what these evil spirits are influencing people to do, one of which is the practice of Halloween. This is why Apostle Paul tells us in Corinthians 10.20, no, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be partners with demons. So when a person practices the custom of Halloween, right? Trick or treating, giving out candies, receiving candies, putting on costumes, having a jack-o'-lantern. What are they doing? Whether they like it or not, they're participating. They're becoming partners with demons because that celebration is connected with demons. And so as people of God, we have to separate from these practices. We have to separate from these ideas and from these beliefs. Now, let's go to the next question. Does, did, uh, did Apostle Paul teach the Gentiles against this festival? He did. If you still remember, the book of Galatians, chapter 4, 8 to 10, formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. So here's Apostle Paul, and he's warning those who were converted to becoming a follower of Yerushalayim about where they came from. Where did they come from? Pagan religion. Formerly, Apostle Paul says, you did not know God. Why did Apostle Paul say that? Because instead of knowing God, they knew, they recognized nature as their gods, which is the practice of paganism, right? These were pagans that were converted that Apostle Paul is speaking to. And when Apostle Paul was speaking to them, he said, do not turn back to those weak and miserable principles. What were the weak and miserable principles that Apostle Paul was referring to? They're the practice of the pagan religion that they used to belong to. And in the practice of these pagan religions that they used to belong to, you know, they had their own special days and months and seasons and years. You know, Galatians 4, 8 to 10 is often used as proof text by people who were against the Sabbath. Right? And they use Galatians 4, 8 to 10 and they go to verse 10, so you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. And they say, look, Apostle Paul says, if you practice the Sabbath, 
you are going back to the weak and miserable principles. Wait a minute. When Apostle Paul said weak and miserable principles, is he talking about the Sabbath? Is he talking about the Ten Commandments? No. Apostle Paul would never say that. He says he preached the law. Right? He would never, ever do that. And so he was not referring to the Sabbath in verse 10. Special days and months and seasons and years. That's not the Sabbath. That's not the Feast of Yahuwah. What are they? These are feasts according to the weak and miserable principles that were implemented by the pagan religions that these Galatians used to belong to. Who were they? Well, who were the Galatians? Gauls were a Celtic people. Does that sound familiar? Celtic. They were a Celtic people dwelling in Galatia, a region of central Anatolia surrounding present-day Ankara during the Hellenistic period. They spoke the Galatian language, which was closely related to Gaulish, a contemporary Celtic language spoken in Gaul. And so the Galatians were Celtic people who entered the region of Galatia during the Hellenistic times, which was right before the advent of Christianity. And so before the before Yahushua was born, before the followers of Yahushua came into being, right? Before the New Testament times, there were Galatians, and these Galatians were Celtics. And the Celtic people, they practiced religion. What kind of religion? The Sawain religion, right? The Druid festival, which is Sawain, which is uh, namely it started around October 31st. November, it was their, uh, their, their feast marking the end of the harvest season and the beginning of the winter or darker half of the year. And so based on this festival observed by the Celtic, led by the Druids, they developed certain special days, special weeks and special years that the Galatians were practicing. That was what was being referred to by Apostle Paul as weak and miserable principles. Not the Sabbath, not the feast of Yahuwah, but the practices of the Celtic religion because the Galatians, they were Celtic. And so Apostle Paul says, you now belong to Yahushua. Why are you going back to those weak and miserable principles? You notice the difference between Apostle Paul and the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, when the Celtic people wanted to continue with their Sawain religion, right? Because apparently the, the Sawain festivities were really fun. <laughs> they did not want to give that up. And so the Catholic Church would kind of force, okay, you can keep your Sawain religion and Sawain customs, but we will call it a different name. We'll call it All Souls Day, eventually became Halloween, right? But Apostle Paul says, no. Apostle Paul, he rebuked them. Why are you turning back to these weak and miserable principles? I fear for you that somehow I wasted my efforts on you. Apostle Paul did not compromise. He said, what you're practicing is against the will of Abba. Don't go back to those weak and miserable principles. Follow Yahushua. Follow the will of Yahuwah. And so Apostle Paul rejected this festival. He rebuked the Galatians because they wanted to go back. Because after all, it was pretty fun for them, right? Apostle Paul says, no, we are not followers of our King Yahushua.
let's go to our next question. Uh, many parents are excited for their kids to join trick or treat. Is it okay for kids to join this activity? It's just giving of gifts, and candies, and costume parties. When you put party and gifts and candies and costumes together, that spells a lot of fun, doesn't it? And so what do the kids say? I don't want to be a part of that, mom. I don't believe in some what? Some way. I don't believe in that stuff. And so one might think, a parent might say, you know, it's, we're not doing this because we believe in the Druid religion. We're not doing this because we practice pagan beliefs. No, we're just having fun. Is there anything wrong with having fun, right? And so as a parent, one might be tempted to say, okay, it's okay, son. It's okay, daughter. But don't forget, we don't believe the reason why this is being practiced, right? And so what does Apostle Paul say about that? In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6 and verses 4, fathers do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Apostle Paul says, we as parents, we have a responsibility towards our children. What is that? Number one, we have to train them and instruct them in the Lord. We have to bring them up, right? In other words, we have to not only teach them the difference between right and wrong, but we have to train them to follow what is right and to reject what is wrong. If we're going to compromise, if we're going to say it's only for fun, then how are we bringing them up? in training and instruction of the Lord. Because Halloween is not an instruction of the Lord. It is an instruction of the enemy of the Lord, right? And so Halloween is actually an opportunity for the parents to teach their children about training in doing the will of the Lord. Because when we say we train them and instruct them of the Lord, what does that mean? Apostle Paul says to Timothy, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. And so Apostle Paul says for us to train, to instruct our children, to bring them up in the Lord. What do we have to do? The Bible says have nothing to do. What does that mean? Have nothing to do. Don't participate, right? I mean, look at the beliefs surrounding Halloween. They're based on godless myths and legends, old wives' tales. Apostle Paul is very clear. He says, have nothing to do. So even if a person, even if your child doesn't understand the spiritual connections that is associated with Halloween, it doesn't matter. Apostle Paul says, have nothing to do with godless myths. And so when we say to our kids, you know, son, daughter, I know you want to have fun, but that's not the way to have fun. What are we doing when they learn to exercise uh, their ability to say no to temptation? We're training them, right? And when we train them, well, they're young, when we train them to discern the difference between right and wrong and give them enough willpower to choose what is right, even if there's tremendous pressure to go in with the crowd, we're training them to be godly. And when we train young children to be godly, what is the effect on them 
Proverbs 22, verse 6. Uh, train the child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. And so what do you instill in them when they're young? It's what they will keep with them when they're old. And so if we teach them when they're young, it's all about compromise. When they get old, they're going to think compromise, right? They're not going to be careful. They're going to be careless because carelessness is what leads to compromise, and compromise is what leads to death. This is why as parents, we need to train them and teach them and instill to them that they should do what is right, not in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of Yahuwah Abba. And so what is the instruction of the Apostle Paul? In the book of Thessalonians, uh, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil, because a parent might say it's only for fun, right? Because there's, it's just innocent. They're young kids, it's just innocent fun. They're wearing, I mean, the costumes are wearing, they're not like ghosts. You know, my son's gonna wear a Thor, and my son's gonna be a Hulk, and my daughter's gonna be a fairy, right? There's no big deal. It's just for fun. Nothing wrong with that. The Apostle Paul says, abstain from every form of evil, right? Every form of evil. This is why we have to test all things. We live today. We live in a world where we know that the effect of the, the culture is so profound. Culture, especially among young people, it has a powerful influence in their thinking. This is why if not, we're not careful, we end up becoming like what we are surrounded with. We end up becoming like the people of the world. We eventually end up following the customs of the world we're not careful. This is why Apostle Paul says, test everything. If there's a custom or a practice of the world or your society or your culture, which is against the will of God, Apostle Paul says, abstain, abstain from every form of evil. Do you know why? Apostle Paul tells us to abstain from every form of evil because the devil is going to use that against us. Do not give the devil an opportunity because he will take that opportunity and destroy us. Do you know how the devil will use every opportunity to destroy us? He will, he's the great seducer. The devil is a seducer. And the Bible, Yahuwah, warns us about the scheme of the devil, how he seduces the people of God so that they end up doing what is against the will of God. Do you know how? The devil seduced the people of Yahuwah during the days of Israel. And this pattern is what is followed even today. This is why we have to be very careful. This is how it starts. In Deuteronomy 12, when Yahuwah, your God, goes ahead of you and destroys the nations, and you drive them out and live in their land, do not fall into the trap of following their customs and worshiping their gods. Do not inquire about their gods, saying, how do these nations worship their gods? I want to follow their example. So our father, Yahuwah, gave instruction to his people to drive out the people who are living in the promised land when they go there and live in their land, right? Drive them out. That's a good metaphor for us today. We have to drive out all the customs that is against the will of God. And so Yahuwah says, when we go to the land, when Yahuwah said to his people Israel, when they enter the promised land, they have to be careful because Satan, he has 
a three-pronged scheme to seduce the people of God. Do you see the three-phase uh, scheme of Satan here? The first part, of, the first phase of his scheme is do not fall into the trap of following their customs. Do you know what makes a trap a trap? If there's a trap and it has trap warning sign on there, it's no longer a trap, is it? What makes a trap a trap? When the trap is hidden and what is seen is the lure, something attractive, something pleasing to the eyes, something that will cause people to say, I want that. This is why the Bible says, do not fall into the trap of following the customs. So the customs of the world, the customs of the people in the land, they're very enticing because if it's not, then they're not gonna follow it, right? And that's what makes Halloween so dangerous. The trap is hidden and covered by the customs of Halloween, which is very attractive to young people. You know, if there's a group of people that never wants to attack, you know who they are? The young kids. Why? Because they're easily influenced. Their belief system has not been established yet. They're easily influenced. And so the devil will target the young kids. And what better way to target these young kids than an innocent sounding costume party with candies and trick-or-treating, right? And so they fall for the trap. What happens next? Then they begin to inquire about their other gods. Right? And so when a person begins to practice trick-or-treating, what's the next step? They're going to inquire about Halloween. What is this all about? And when you begin to inquire, you begin to invest your mind in it, and eventually your heart follows, which is why there is phase number three, the final phase, that person who dabbled into trick-or-treating because it sounded innocent fun, right? The trap was laid out. The lure was set up. You take the bite, you begin to inquire about it, pretty soon your heart is invested now. And you say to yourself, I want to follow their example. And so you have become the world. You have become like the world. You see how Halloween is like the perfect trap, the perfect custom to entrap our children so that they would go against Yahuwah. This is why we have to be careful with these ways of the world. And nowadays, Halloween is painted out to be very attractive. Not only that, this whole theme of the occult, Satanism, witchcraft that is involved with Halloween, right? It's been portrayed by media to be attractive, to be good, right? I mean, for example, I mean, look at Harry Potter, a good witch, right? A good witch, a witch who's a hero. How many people fell for Harry Potter? Coco? Right? I mean, how many people watch Coco? It's about the land of the dead. And so here's Disney, here's mass media, cinema. They're portraying, communicating to our kids these ideas that are against the will of Yahuwah. And so our kids begin to think, you know, I like this. I want to follow their example. And so it starts innocent, right? It's only fun. Yeah, because it's a trap. That's why it's fun. Because if, you, if the devil is going to set up a trap, he's going to make it look fun, enticing. If it's not enticing, it's not a trap, right? 
And so he wants to make it attractive. People bite into it, they're lured and they're caught and they can't escape. Now they're looking more into this Harry Potter, new age begins to come up. It's all the same theme, it's all the same author. They begin to dabble into Eckhart Tolle, right? They begin to think new age beliefs. They begin the secret. They begin to practice all that. It's all related. It's all related. Something the devil wants to lure us into. Right? Halloween and new age, they go together. And they make for a perfect package to attract young people, old people, everyone in between. And just to give you... To just to show you the power of this kind of packaging, this kind of uh, lure, enticing uh, uh, media portrayals of the occult. I got another letter, dear brother Rolando, a child approached me and asked me if I knew some spells she could use. I was a guest. How do we tell our children that this is bad and this act is summoning the devil? How can we protect our kids from this activity? Uh, they were influenced by movies and they thought these activities are fun and okay. There were news about these and there are children's books selling online about witchcraft too. Is there a real danger in using spells and witchcraft by kids? They know the word Wicca and they create charms. I fear that they may attract evil spirits and will never leave and, uh, and will never leave and bother them. Things fall. And this is true. I mean, you know what's a bestseller a book? For young kids, the junior witches, you go to Amazon and look at the, I mean, I don't want you to go up to Amazon and look at look at this, but look at how many stars. You know, 1,365 star gave five star rating to this book. When Amazon gives you 1,365 star ratings, it means it sold millions and millions of this book. The junior witches handbook. The Junior Witch's Handbook, a kid's guide to white magic, spells, and rituals. Goodness. The kids are buying into it. They want to practice it. And online, there's so many videos. There's so many YouTube projects like witch TikToks. You know, you go there and they will tell you if you're a witch or not. They will teach you how to read your palms. Do you want to know if you're a witch? Do you want to know what kind of witch you are? Do you know what kind of powers you have? You know, people nowadays, nowadays they want to have powers, right? They want to be an X-Men. They want to be a witch. They want to stand out. There's this craving for them. You know, there's this craving inside of them to be special. And so it's easy for them to bite. It's easy for them to take that lure and to be entrapped by the occult, by witchcraft, by Halloween. This is why we have to be careful because when the question is asked, is there real danger using spells and witchcraft by kids? Yes. What's the danger? Number one, which we read earlier, be careful. These customs are detestable to Yahuwah. You know, sorcery, omens, witchcraft, casting spells, functioning as mediums. They're detestable because when, we, when a person practices them, it's like prostituting himself to these familiar spirits. And Yahuwah says, I will set my person against, I will set my face against a person cut him off from his. People. So we have to be careful. This is dangerous. Evil spirits can ruin the lives of many people today. This is why, as people of Elohim, we need to be engaged in knowing the difference between good and evil. 
This is why we have the discipleship project that we're going to be launching soon. And we do hope all of us will be engaged because it's time for us to begin with solid food, not just milk. So that we can train ourselves to distinguish between good and evil. Why must we be serious? Why must we be engaged in discipleship? In knowing the difference between good and evil. In the book of 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 12, the wicked one will come with the power of Satan, perform all kinds of false miracles and wonders, and use every kind of wicked deceit on those who will perish. They will perish because they did not welcome and love the truth so as to be saved. And so God sends the power of error to work in them so that they believe in what is false. The result is that all who have not believed the truth, but have taken pleasure in sin, will be condemned. Why? Are we not surprised that today there's so many people who believe in witches, so many young kids who practice witchcraft or who engage in the occult or who believe in new age ideas? Why are we not surprised about this? Because the one behind it is the enemy, right? He he knows he has limited time left, so he's going to come with power, false miracles, and all kinds of wicked deceit. This is why we have to be careful. How can we uncover a wicked deceit? By welcoming and loving the truth. And so we must know the truth of the word of God. Because the truth is what we need. Unfortunately, because the devil knows he has limited time left, what kind of teachers are people looking for nowadays? Second Timothy 4.3, the time will come when people will not listen to sound doctrine, but will follow their own desires and will collect for themselves more and more teachers who will tell them what they are itching to hear. And that's what we have today. This is why it's very, very disturbing. And I'm not here to judge this website. I'm going to show you next. Because there are many who call themselves Christians who do not condemn Halloween. In fact, they even promote Halloween. Did you know that? And so I took the time to go to a mainstream Christian website, Christianity.com. You can't be more mainstream than that. And so when people look up subjects and want to know about a certain question and want to know about what Christianity says about the subject, one of their first stops is Christianity.com. And this is what I found in Christianity.com concerning Halloween. Take a look. Christianity.com. Should Christians celebrate Halloween? If you can read there, uh, I'll read it for you. Do the people around you Know that Jesus' life-giving sacrifice on the cross completely crushed death along with the terror celebrated every year on October 31st. Should Christians celebrate Halloween? Yes, Christians can because the blood of Christ has redeemed Halloween. So according to Christianity.com, should Christians celebrate Halloween? Yes, because supposedly our king redeem Halloween. And in one of the, uh, in the article, you can, you can go there and read it for yourself. It's really shocking. Redeeming Halloween for Christians. It's as though Yahusha died so that we can celebrate Halloween, right? When you think about it, Halloween, redeeming Halloween for Christians. And then he go, uh, this person goes on to quote Hebrews 9.12. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. And so he, this person uses this passage, Hebrews 9.12, well, 
And we believe Hebrews 9, 12, because we believe Yahushua atoned for our sins, redeemed us, right? But he didn't redeem us to celebrate Halloween. When you think about it, redeeming Halloween for Christians. If Halloween needs to be redeemed for, it must be a sin, right? Think about it. Redeeming Halloween for Christians. If Halloween is innocent, if Halloween is okay, why would it be redeemed for? And so when the author writes redeeming Halloween for Christians, it means Halloween is a sin. Otherwise, there would be no need to redeem for it. At the same time, the author goes on redeeming Halloween for Christians. In other words, it's like redeeming sin so that you can commit more sin. It doesn't make sense, right? I mean, yes, we were atoned for. Yes, our sins are forgiven, but it doesn't mean we're going to practice Halloween because of it. As a matter of fact, Apostle Paul says in Romans 6.22, what was the purpose of us being redeemed from sin? But now you have been set free from sin and are the slaves of God. Your gain is a life fully dedicated to him. And the result is eternal life. And so when we were set free from sin because of the blood shed by Yahushua on the cross, what does that mean for us? It means we were set free. And so we become set free from death and sin to be slaves of uh-huh. God. It doesn't mean once we're set free, we can do whatever we want. No, we were set free to become slaves of uh-huh. God. What does that mean? Our life must be fully dedicated to Yahuwah. If our life is fully dedicated to Yahuwah, why are we going to practice Halloween? Why? We must not. Colossians 2. Apostle Paul says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him were raised to new life, because you trusted the mighty power of God, who raised Christ from the dead. So according to Apostle Paul, when we belong to Christ because of baptism, we become a new creature. We are raised to new life. What kind of new life does Apostle Paul expect from us? Colossians 2, 13 and 15, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Okay, Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Apostle Paul says, he's speaking to Colossus. These Colossians were also influenced by pagan practices. And he said, now that you were baptized into Christ Yahushua, you have become a new creature. Your sins have been forgiven. What's the purpose of the forgiveness of their sins? It is so that they will no longer be devoted to these spiritual rulers and authorities that they used to serve and worship. In other words, they need to be dedicated to Yahushua. And so how can, how can we be dedicated to Yahushua? Let your roots Grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. What is the responsibility of those who were atoned for, redeemed for by the blood of Yahushua? It is to live a holy life separate from the world and fully devoted to Yahushua, deeply rooted in him. 
building our life on him. We're not building our life upon the customs of the world. In fact, we were given the responsibility. Apostle Paul warns us in Ephesians 4.17. Uh, here then is my word to you, and I urge it on you in the Lord's name. Give up living as pagans do with their futile notions. Their minds are closed. They are alienated from the life that is in God because ignorance prevails among them and their hearts have grown hard as stone. So Apostle Paul speaking to the Christians, the followers of Yahushua, did he say, anyway, since you have been atoned for by the blood of Yahushua, you can still practice these pagan, pagan practices you have. It's okay. Yahushua redeemed them for you so you can keep practicing. <laughs> the Apostle Paul says, I urge you in the name of Yahushua, give up, right? Give it up. Isn't this what he said to the Galatians? Give it up. Don't go back there. And here comes Christianity.com, right? Professing Christians say that Christ redeemed Halloween for Christians. That's not the message of Apostle Paul, is it? Apostle Paul says, give it up. Give it up. Because now you belong to Yahushua. Not only do we have the responsibility of giving it up. You know what Apostle Paul also said when it comes to these pagan practices? Look, Ephesians 5, 8 to 11. For once you were full of darkness when they were once pagans. But now you have light from the Lord because you were redeemed by the blood of Yahushua. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. There's nothing true about Halloween. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Halloween does not please the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Apostle Paul not only tells us to have nothing to do with these tales, to give them up, to don't go back to these weak and beggarly elements. He also says, expose them for what they are, evil and darkness. And so it doesn't make sense. That statement that we can practice Halloween because Yahusha redeemed Halloween for us. No, we were redeemed by the blood of Yahusha to be slaves of God and to be slaves of God. We have the responsibility in Corinthians 10 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink and whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Because when we are slaves of God, it means we are now living sacrifices to God. How can we become living sacrifice to God? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. But you know, many people would prefer the that article that we just read because it will allow them to have fun right? To say, oh, it's, it's just a custom of the world. It's just innocent fun. People want and collect teachers who will tell them what they're itching to hear, but they don't want preachers who will tell them to know what is good and perfect, who will tell them don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. This is what we practice, brethren. And so we urge those who belong to the assembly of Yahushua, do not practice Halloween. Do not pass out those candies. Do not go trick-or-treating. Do not wear those costumes. Do not have anything to do with the works of the occult in the new age. Reject them because they're against the will of Yahuwah Abba. We should not practice them because if we practice them, Apostle Paul says, what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? 
What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk with them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. We are the people of God. And for us to be a people of God, we have to do things God's way. See, we have a choice. We can either do the world's way or do it God's way. There's, we can't be in the middle. You understand? We have to make a choice. Either we are with Yahuwah or we are with the world. There's no middle ground to it. We must choose Yahuwah. And if we choose Yahuwah, Yahuwah will be with us. We are the temple of Yahuwah. And so let us practice Yahuwah's ways because we are the people of God. Yahuwah has a promise for us. Wonderful promise for each and every one of us. But we haven't yet received that promise. We are still traversing this world. And so while we're waiting for the promise to be fulfilled in our life, what is our responsibility? Let's finish with this concluding text, 2 Corinthians 7.1, because we have these promises as people of God. Dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. The Bible says it's our responsibility as recipients of the promises of Yahuwah, right? To complete our holiness. What does holiness mean again? What does holiness mean? The word holy means to set apart, to cut off, set apart. That's what it means. Holy is set apart. We have to complete our separation from what? The world and its practices. Why? Because the world defiles. The customs and the ways of the world defiles our body and our spirit. And so we must make it our duty and goal and objective that we become completely holy because of our fear for Yahuwah Abba. And so we separate ourselves from the world and cling to Yahuwah through our King Yahusha. Do not let the ways of the world defile our thinking, our spirit, and our bodies. Let us be devoted to Father and to His Son. Let us be prepared so that we can receive the promises that has been given to all of us. Let us stand, brethren, and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, most holy Yahuwah Abba, thank you so much for your blessings, for giving us your promises, for giving us a covenant relationship with you. We know what this means. You will be our Allahim, and we shall be your people. As our Allahim, you have become a father to us, adopting us to be your sons and daughters that we might be separate from the world. The world does not like to hear what we have to say. But we are not surprised because we know the more we become like you, the more we shall be persecuted and hated by the world. Help us to stand strong, to proclaim your truth boldly, to hold on to you tightly, that we may never drift away from you, Father, Remember our children. We are exposed to so many philosophies, exposed to works of darkness, exposed to the works of the occult new age ideas. Father, please preserve their minds, their hearts, 
Help us to work together. Help us to proclaim and to live out your truth, to live by faith, not by sight. Help us to overcome wicked influence, to abstain from all forms of evil. Our King Yahushua, what can we do without you? We can only accomplish the will of Abba through you, through the sending of your spirit. May you please impart upon us all the ability to overcome that we may prevail over darkness as lights of the world through you. May you strengthen our faith, bless our children, bless our loved ones, that we can all work together as one. Father, we believe you have listened to our prayers. Help us, help us to be strong amidst the persecution and to always proclaim you. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.